0: goes out to you today for listening to Eco Radio KC on 90.1 FM KKFI Kansas City Community Radio this is a locally made exploration into positive solutions to some of today's ecological challenges for all of us working to create a healthier future for our communities and for the world you live in
1: for Listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. Today, host Craig Lubo and his guest Bob I will speak about current environmental law issues. We are very lucky to have Bob I as our guest. Stay tuned to learn the latest and what our listeners can do to keep our energy clean, green, and available. Today, Eco Radio is celebrating KKFI. It is our pledge drive. Listeners are aware that Eco Radio is produced weekly by KKFI volunteers and that we need to all support KKFI, our community radio station. We bring you vital information underserved or ignored by mainstream media. KKFI is supported by our listeners. If you share KKFI's mission of providing an independent voice to music and information underserved or ignored by mainstream media, consider becoming a sustaining member today. Please call 888-931-0901. That is 888-931-0901 to speak with a phone bank volunteer. Or you can go to kkfi.org and click the donate button. On the EcoRadio KC page on Facebook, you can find a fundraiser which gives to KKFI with a simple click. We trust you are listening, but we cannot see our audience. Our pledge drive is your opportunity to show your support for Eco Radio KC. We are glad to encourage awareness and protection of our world. Our goal is to assure our listeners are aware of how we can create a sustainable present or a sustainable future. This will be a great radio hour. Now our show.
2: This is KKFI volunteer Phil Bauer. If you are tired of some radio stations only offering the same popular music over and over as if it is canned, KKFI is listening because we offer more than just pop in a can. KKFI plays unique music that you may not find anywhere else, and this includes local musical artists right from your community. So, if you'd like to savor your music from something more than a can, pledge at 888. 888- 9310901 or go online at kkfi.org ensure something refreshing awaits when you pledge at 8889310901 kkfi is listening and waiting to quench your thirst for good music so make your pledge at 8889310901
3: all right, this is Craig Lubo, and thank you for joining us here on Eco Radio. And while you are listening to the interview, please remember to give us a call to send in the pledge. I'm going to say the number and the website once more before we start the interview. The um, pledge line is 888 You can also go online and um, do it on the website at kkfi.org. If you're not able to call right now, you can call anytime, even when the phone bank's not open. Um, You can go online and do that when the phone bank's not open and do a pledge online. And if you want to call any time during the day and you want your contribution be considered for the particular show like Eco Radio or any other show, just tell the call taker what show you would like it to be applied toward. Okay, my guest today is Bob I. Bob is a environmental attorney, primarily. Has done some, I believe, civil rights too, um, and he is semi-retired, but still does some stuff. And um, he is—he go- used to be the attorney that represented the Sierra Club before he went into semi-retirement and turned it over to another guy that was with them. Um, we have some issues, primarily national environmental law issues, he's going to talk about, and how some of these Supreme Court cases um, has impacted um, various environmental issues. We're going to start one of the cases that Bob is going to talk about is West Virginia versus EPA, and that Related to the Clean Power Plan that the EPA came out with a few years ago, I believe believe it was around the last year of the Obama administration. That's right. So if you want to tell them first about what the Clean Power Plan was and then talk
0: about the case. Sure. You know, it's uh, it's a perennial question in, uh, in the administrative law and, and judicial watches generally is that, you know, what role does politics play in the judiciary? And, uh, you know, in, a, in an ideal world, judges, I suppose, wouldn't, and justices, wouldn't read the newspaper or wouldn't um, look at the Internet and so forth, and they would truly decide cases purely in a vacuum. But that's not the reality we deal with. And it's always... Uh, I think, interesting and actually important to try to chart trends uh, that are happening in courts, in particular, the United States Supreme Court. And now, since we've got such a a decided majority uh, amongst the conservatives, uh, it's, I think, important to identify a couple of trends that have begun to emerge in a, a fairly important way. And as Craig mentioned, one of the cases that really uh, shows this trend is uh, West Virginia against EPA. Uh, This case was decided last June. And it, as Craig mentioned, it involved the Obama Administration's Clean Power Plan. Now, The Clean Power Plan, uh, as originally conceived uh, by the Obama Administration, had two primary foundations to shift electric generation in in the United States away from fossil fuels and uh, toward renewables. Uh, One of those was to improve the so-called efficiency um, heat rate from power plants and fossil fuel power plants, and that simply means to try to make them run more efficiently to uh, make improvements as uh, that technology would allow. Uh, There was really no big controversy about that particular part of the foundation of the Clean Power Plan. The controversy, uh, the collision occurred really on the second foundation. And that was EPA's view that there were a number of uh, electric generation facilities around the country that were sufficiently inefficient and sufficiently polluting that they could be justifiably switched off or switched over to renewable fuels, wind or solar for the most part. And not entirely because there's a fair amount of hydro in uh, certain parts of the United States, but primarily for this policy discussion it was about wind and and solar. Uh, When the Obama administration came to an end and the Trump administration came into office They jettisoned the Clean Power Plan, no big surprise there, and essentially redefined it into just an improvement of existing power production facilities and dropped off entirely the idea that there could be a switching from uh, fossil fuels to renewables. Uh, Okay. The Obama administration ended, Trump administration picked it up, changed it, when the Trump administration ended, that's right, you guessed it, the Biden administration came in, they revived the Clean Power Plan. So this thing had been setting in the courts really since it was uh, first introduced back uh, during the end of the Obama administration. So it's had a long and tortured judicial life. But when it came down to the United States Supreme Court's view of this case, it took a very narrow view, very narrow view of the scope of power that EPA had in this context. And the court said, fine, you can fiddle around with efficiencies for uh, power plants and try to make them run more efficiently, but – when you interfere with a essentially a property right that the owners of these power plants have to continue to use their plants as they were originally built, that is to burn coal for the most part, now you've got a problem. And the court centered on the fact that in the Clean Air Act under which the Clean Power Plan was devised, there's nothing in the Clean Air Act that explicitly says the Environmental Protection Agency has the authority to require this fuel switching uh, at the so-called grid level. And the absence of that legislative authority uh, for this particular court was uh, fatal to the Clean Power Plan. Now, I think one has to remember that there was a time not very long ago when the court would have adopted uh, the Clean Power Plan, really probably without much hesitation. But that was under a different legal regime, and we can talk about that when we come back, perhaps.
3: All right. Okay. The power plan, The so it's mostly an administrative ish, issue that, because of the lack of authority. Right. But Congress can give them that authority, is that correct?
0: That is correct. Uh, Congress theoretically could essentially fix the problem that the court found with the Clean Power Plan and adopt language in a Clean Air Act that says, EPA, you now have the explicit authority to require a switching of fuels from coal to renewables. Now, of course, That would be great, and it's theoretically possible for that to happen, but as we know, in the Congress it's polarized as the one that we're dealing with now. The likelihood of getting a bill through that says that is almost zero, partly because, notice in this case, it was West Virginia versus EPA. It was West Virginia, coal-producing state. Now there were a lot of other states that got in in this case, and believe me, the list of parties is almost endless. Uh, Every uh, conceivable party on the power production side uh, entered into this case, as did many public interest groups as well, and a lot of municipalities did as well. Uh, So right, it was the absence of that legislative authority. The, the, the reason that that has gotten the attention of many people who practice law in the administrative law area, and constitutional law for that matter, is because since the Chevron versus NRDC case, which was decided in 1984, there has been a tacit understanding uh, between the administrative agencies and uh, the, uh, the courts and uh, and the, the Congress that ambiguous language in statutes uh, would be left to the agencies to interpret and apply. ambiguous amb- Ambiguities in a statute would be left to the agencies to interpret and apply. That was the law in Chevron as was announced in 1984. That principle of deference to the agencies to to take the large policy objectives that congress enact and then r- focus those objectives in operational and programmatic ways was left to the agencies you know we can argue all day long about how that's happened partly it's because agencies have the people that with the expertise to figure out complicated things like switching the grid from a fossil dependent to a non-fossil dependent i mean this is extremely complicated it's not just an engineering problem although there are engineering problems part of it there are social economic uh, factors that that weigh into this as well i mean some might say that that the reason that congress doesn't get more granular in its instructions is because they just default to the agencies because those are the people with the expertise. A little more cynical view might be that it's to shift the attention from the legislative branch over to the executive branch. I mean, let, them, let the executive branch take the heat for a while and get it off Congress. I mean, if you really want to take a, a purely sort of, sort of political cynical view about it, I'm sure that that, that, that enters into it.
3: Okay, um, we do need to take a break in a few seconds. And after PSA, we're going to tell you a little bit about why you should um, call in the pledge. So we'll be back in a minute.
4: Support for KKFI provided by the Folly Theater, presenting trumpeter, educator, radio host, and UMKC graduate Herman Mahari at 8 p.m. Saturday, February 18th as part of the Folly Jazz Series. Mahari and his quartet will perform music from his latest album Asmara as well as from his debut album Blue. More information and tickets available at follytheater.org or by contacting the box office at 816-474-4444.
5: Hi, this is Daryl Oliver, Volunteer Coordinator at KKFI. Our phone drive will be starting soon and we need volunteers for our phone bank. You can participate remotely or by coming into the station. All phone bank volunteers must be comfortable talking to donors on the phone and entering pledges on the computer. In addition, remote phone bank volunteers will need a reliable internet connection and a computer with a microphone and speakers. Sign up for a shift today at kkfi.org slash phone bank or contact me at 816-994-786
6: this is terry wilkie and you're listening to eco radio kc during our winter fund drive we want to encourage everyone to give to support kkfi and the number to dial is 888-931-0901 what do you think about that brent
7: Well, good evening Kansas City. I think it would be great if everybody that's listening would give us a call or go to KKFI.org and click on the donate button. Either way.
6: Yeah, you're listening to Brent Ragsdale, one of the members of our crew. We have almost the entire crew here tonight. Missing Richard Mabian that we miss very, very much. But Brent, how else can a person give to KKFI? Online?
7: Yeah, online, um, call in and talk to the people that we have here standing by, ready to take your information and credit card number. Um, There's uh, other ways you can give. You can give of your time. It's a volunteer organization. We have very few full-time people here that are paid. mm -hmm. We just, it's a a labor of love. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm proud to be a part of of Eco Radio KC and a part of, of KKFI and the community.
6: We have a Facebook fundraiser page on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, so that's a very easy thing to give. And for if you're a sustained giver and want to give us your credit card number or your debit card, for a small amount every month, only $10 every month, you could have one of the new logos, KKFI logos on a yeah, t-shirt. Yeah, I saw that on, yeah, on the right. website
7: on a, on a nice raglan tee, they call it. It's very colorful and looks very nice. So if you're if you're a KKFI community person and just need the new logo, give us a call and we'd be glad to take your money and send you a new t-shirt.
6: I'm going to tell you, I think the sustained giving is such a reasonable way to give. A small amount comes out. You can check your bank account and make sure that that happens but it really builds up over time, and it's just a great way to show your support for KKFI. It's our 35th year on air, and I think we must be doing something right. I know ECO Radio is doing it all right, (laughs) but this is your chance to give us a call right now, 888-931-0901.
7: Yes, we are fulfilling our mission of stimulating, educating and entertaining and this is one of the community service kind of programs we have a lot of diverse music Um, we support the community in a lot of ways but this is a show that is really about the environment and I'm so pleased to have these two lawyers sitting here I'm glad they're on my team I'm (laughs) I'm tempted to you know bring up some lawyer jokes but since you guys are on on the environment side I'm going to lay off on that
6: (laughs) so you can call us now when you talk to that friendly volunteer make sure you tell the lawyer jokes they'll bring it in (laughs) we want to thank you we don't know who's listening we know people are listening but we don't know except during pledge drives this is your chance to show us your support and confirm that you value you have you have value in eco radio casey we would really appreciate that
3: and i want to challenge i know there's a lot of people who are environmental activists out there sierra club audubon brentwood or some of the others
7: yeah american lot,
3: heartland um, a lot of the usual
7: suspects you know, that we give that we put on our uh, calendar of events every every week you know faithfully yeah we we would love to have all of those people call in and show their support
6: i'm gonna i'm gonna one up you guys if you care about the environment, call Eco Radio right now at eight 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 nine three one zero nine zero one. It's important to process this information, to to send broadcast is the word I'm fishing for, to broadcast this information. We don't kid ourselves that the climate is changing around here, do we guys? No. No. Mm-hmm. We 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 all believe it. So If you'll be so good and give us a call, we're gonna go back to our show now. Craig Lubo is interviewing Bob I. All
3: right, thank you, Terry. Um, So I do have Bob I with us. He is an environmental attorney, also does some in civil rights litigation. And we are talking about some recent um, environmental cases at the Supreme Court level the impact energy and um, renewable energy etc and we would talk about west virginia versus epa and the clean power plan and bob if you want to continue i don't recall where we left off (laughs) i
0: I think i can pick up on it. it Essentially, I think it's important to recognize that on the spectrum, uh, the court is going to be either very deferential to administrative agencies like the EPA and accept their judgments on the best way to implement congressional mandates, or at the other end of the spectrum, they're going to be very, very limited in terms of how much deference they, they give. Now, this cuts both ways. I have to tell you, I mean, having litigated uh, these agency cases you know, for f- I don't know, four or five decades now, I can tell you this is going to cut both ways. And let me give you an example. In the early 80s, uh, there was a case called Baltimore Gas and Electric versus the NRDC. And this was dealing with the NRCs, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's so-called zero release rule. The zero release rule said that the, NR, that the NRC could license a spent nuclear fuel facility for high-level radioactive waste and that there would be zero release of radiation for thousands of years. Zero release. Well, there were a lot of people who questioned that, uh, including my boss at the time, who just died recently, the late uh, Republican Attorney General Bob Steffen. I was a newly minted lawyer at that point. I read. Uh, about that case. And I marched down to uh, Attorney General Bob Steffen's office and said, we need to get involved with this case. And he sort of rolled his eyes and groaned and said, what are you trying to get me into here? He said, this is the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, for God's sake. And I said, you know, I I repeated to him about the 10,000-year rule. He said, that doesn't sound right to me. And so he allowed me to get involved in that case. And I co-authored the state's amicus brief, along with the assistant attorney general from uh, Wisconsin. We were advocating that the NRC's rule be be repealed. And I was wa- working on this brief late one night in the attorney general's office, and it occurred to me, oh, my God, we're going to lose this thing 9-0. I called up my counterpart in Wisconsin and told him, and he said, oh, no. 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 We're okay. We're not going to lose this. He said, why do you think we're going to lose? I said, two reasons. One, the conservatives on the court are in love with nuclear power. You could bring it in looking like uh, uh, an apple pie, and they would say it was okay. The liberals on the court are going to take one look at this million-page-plus administrative record, and they're going to say, let's just defer to the experts at the NRC. Well, my counterpart in, in Wisconsin said, no, I think you're wrong. I said, well, we'll see. Well, unfortunately, uh, I was right. They did decide against this 9-0. And it was pretty much for the reasons that, that I had come up with working that late night in the Attorney General's office on this brief. So that's an example where the agency was extremely deferential to the, to the uh, or the court rather, was extremely deferential to the agency. I mean, really, zero release of radiation for thousands of years? I mean, a dubious person would be a little skeptical about that. I think, but they got it all the way to the United States Supreme Court and got it affirmed. So that was that. Now, when you go to the other end of the spectrum, uh, you've got West Virginia against EPA, and there it wasn't that the, that the NR, it wasn't that the agency didn't have any direction. They had some. Uh, They had a prior uh, case from, really two prior cases from the Supreme Court, one that said that power plants could be uh, considered polluters when they emit greenhouse gases, and the other case that said cars could be polluters when they emit greenhouse gases. So they had those prior precedents from the Supreme Court saying, yes, greenhouse gases could be regulated under under the Clean Air Act. But the court said, you don't have any authority to tell power plants that they can't burn coal anymore and that they've got to do fuel switching at this very broad level, at the grid level. And so the court essentially invoked, without saying it, invoked this major questions doctrine, which says that when there is ambiguity in legislative language, uh, there is a heightened level of scrutiny of 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 the of, of bureaucracies programs. Let me just repeat that. When there's ambiguity in a legislative mandate, instead of deferring to the agency to, to interpret it and figure it out in a programmatic way, the court will have a heightened degree of scrutiny about that program. And in the case of West Virginia against uh, Uh, EPA, it was the Clean Power Plan that was the target. And the Clean Power Plan no longer exists. Now, let me just say this. Sort of the good news is that the transition to a renewable-based energy system in our country is continuing. It's continuing in spite of the Supreme Court, not because of it. It's in spite of it. And it's also in spite, really, of Congress, who again they could fix the clean air act and make it so that there's no question that epa has this authority but of course we know that's not going to happen yeah
3: one question in that regard if congress were to do that could the supreme court still reject that on the other ground that you mentioned before where they said that the power companies have property rights perhaps. Uh,
0: the, it appears that in the, case, in the cases, uh, West Virginia against uh, EPA, that really what the court was most concerned about, and this may have been just convenient, but what they were most concerned about was that there was no explicit grant of authority from Congress to the EPA to do this. The other part of it uh hardly even raised a mention in the case they 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 waved that as they drove by but that was about the extent of it it was really this 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 language that they said congress had failed to put in the act and that the epa was essentially proceeding as if they had legislative authority when in fact they didn't so
3: and what was this a nine zero decision too
0: no, it was 6-3. The liberals, the liberals dissented on this, and, um, and essentially said, you know, look, since Chevron in 1984, it's not as if we've got a clean sweep here of agencies winning all the cases or people challenging agencies have won all the cases. There is a, there is a, a balance, however, I, I must say. In my experience, agencies have a tremendous advantage over those who challenge agency decisions. And to the extent that the right wing in this country is perpetrating, and I I really do think that this is just perpetrating a falsehood, that somehow there's a a deep administrative state that manipulates everything from gas prices to uh, what you watch on TV. This is a way to kind of satisfy that yearning to bring those agencies under control, have a shorter leash on what they're able to do in their programs. Uh, And then, again, constitutionally, theoretically, Congress could fix all this. They could legislate their way around these things, just like they could – by the way, another case that really was – that foreshadowed uh, the decision in West Virginia against EPA was, of course, Jackson v. Dobbs, the the abortion case. The willingness of the court to depart from well-established precedent sent a shockwave through the legal community. I mean, it's tough to advise clients when the Supreme Court's sort of whipsawing uh, here from one extreme to the other. It's a little hard to tell a client, well, here's what we think's going to happen. It makes those Those judgments that are uncertain anyway, even more uncertain. Uh, So, uh, the other cases that foreshadowed uh, West Virginia against uh, EPA, and it's uh, pulling back on agency authority, were the COVID cases. One of those was the, the mandatory uh, uh, testing and vaccination by employers. Uh, the court said Health and Human Services did not have the authority to, to do that. Uh, and, so, and
3: the fact that it was what it, some of us would think was a national emergency, that was not enough to sway the court then.
0: It was not. And we saw this repeated in, in cases around the country sometimes as well, where the courts would, and again, this, in the public health crisis context, this is a little hard to swallow sometimes. But in fact, the courts, at least the United States Supreme Court, really held the line and said, yes, we have a crisis, yes, we have people dying, but we're not going to expand a, an agency's power just because of that. And so, uh, it, it certainly it certainly then when you when you come down to West Virginia against the EPA, it makes that decision more predictable. Now, the other case that that I was going to talk about is the Sackett against the EPA case. This involves the Clean Water Act. The Sacketts are private property owners up in Idaho who wanted to do some development on an area that was clearly delineated as a wetland and therefore protected. And that they would have to go through the process and get a so-called 404 permit from the Corps of Engineers before they could develop that. Well, they didn't want to do that at all. <laughs> it was their property and by gosh, they were gonna do with it as they saw fit. And so they have been fighting EPA for i bet decade and a half uh on this and it's it was fi- it finally reached the supreme court uh and was argued last fall but it has not we yet do been need to take decided.
3: another break um for those disjoining us we're talking to bob i environmental law attorney and we talked about some environmental law cases from the supreme court next is a PSA, along with some more pledging
4: The Midwest Trust Center at Johnson County Community College has been a venue for the performing arts and arts education since 1990, welcoming audiences to performances that include blues, rock, jazz, classical, world music, comedy, and children's programming. The Midwest Trust Center is supported by KFI thanks Buffalo State Events and accepts donations at jcccedu Center.
6: okay this is terry wilkie and we're having a fun. we're having a great show let me tell you both craig and uh, bob i during the pledge drive but it's time to ask you again and brent let's call out to a few people let's say if there's anybody listening who has any interest in permaculture they should call us now at 888 931 zero nine zero one that's eight 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 nine three one zero
7: nine
6: zero one what about uh... what people drive what Am I giving you a, a strong clue, Brent?
7: <laughs> yeah, people that, that drive an EV maybe. Maybe if you're listening in your car and you're in an EV, maybe you should pull over safely and give us a call.
6: You mean to say those EVs, you don't just tell it, dial 888 Yeah, that might be possible. I bet you can. And then we have a friendly volunteer here. That's a great idea. So uh, Craig, can you think of, uh, of other people we can challenge to show support for KKFI?
3: Well, for those who weren't listening last time, call us if you're a member mm-hmm. of an environmental organization. Uh, and Climate KC is an organization. Yeah,
7: uh, Climate Action KC. Right. Uh, the, the, the Green Party, we had a nice interview. That was my last show. It was with people from the Green Party.
6: Isn't that the truth, The people that support the Green Party, that yeah. that's a great idea. And listeners, it's easy to give and it's important to give. And the reason why you give is, although KKFI comes to you free, you can turn on the car radio, you can turn on your radio at home. If this programming has value to you, then this is the time to show us your support. You can be a monthly sustained giver, and that will help us to keep on the air and help us to reach out to the community. We don't even know all the environmental news in the community yet, do we? No, we don't.
3: And and we do have a lot of expenses, even though we're all volunteer. We have electric and utilities and the tower maintenance, et cetera. And, So we do need funds for that. And please give us a call and show us you support this.
7: Yeah. And another thing about KKFI, this is old school. This is radio. This is 100,000 watts that goes almost to Topeka. Speaking of electric cars, my electric car tells me how many watts I'm using. And if I push the pedal all the way to the metal, that's about the same as KKFI. It's 100,000 watts
6: that's a very good point this is the best value you'll get for a dollar that you spend today because we're all volunteers here and so we take the money and put it into the broadcast signal into the equipment these nice microphones that we have so that you can hear us and understand us And it's important if you value Eco Radio KC, if you want to hear more of us, if you want to show us that you appreciate shows we have played for you in the past, please call us now, 888-931-0901, or you can go online at kkfi.org, or you can go to your Facebook page and I bet that's so easy to do. You can almost punch Facebook while you're driving and say you want to give money to the Eco Radio KC fundraiser page. And we would really appreciate it. Now, $120 will get you the new T-shirt. That way, everywhere you go, people will know you're part of the KKFI family. And it's a colorful, lovely T-shirt.
7: Yeah, another thing that's really makes a, a unique and... and and memorable gift is to buy someone a guest DJ spot. I did that for one of my good friends, and now that he's retired, I'm gonna to try to get him to come here and do a eclectic show on KKFI. He's so good at it.
6: Well, I'm gonna <laughs> tell you, they make great Valentine's Day presents. <laughs> they up. really do. In case you're
7: wondering. So
6: uh, if you would like, and it, you have up to a year to use it. You don't have to give us the money to buy a guest DJ. That's an hour of music radio. All you do is bring in the music. We have DJs here that will help work the board, and you can talk into the mic and sound brilliant, as I'm sure. Yeah. It's, it's fun, isn't it?
7: Yeah. It's, and, I, and I would say if, if your organization is, is one of the perennial guests on KKFI, maybe you treat uh, donation as, as public outreach. This isn't preaching to the choir. This is going out to everybody, and you never know who you're going to influence because they're driving home from work with an open mind.
6: We calendar in both writing and in broadcast. We archive our shows and we podcast our shows. So if there are events you want to get out to the public, you can contact us at kkfi.org. And we love to hear from you. So call us now, 888-931-0901. We have to go back to our, well, listen to me, we have we to go to back it. to our show. <laughs> Craig, you and Bob I are doing a great show. I don't mean to make it, uh, like I'm so sorry, I have to quit asking everybody for for support, but uh, we're gonna go back to our show now, thank you.
3: Thank you, Terry, and hopefully all of you listeners agree that this is a great show and that's why you get a call and give us a generous pledge, whatever you can afford. Okay, so we're back with Bob I. He is an environmental law attorney, also does some civil rights litigation. Um, we are talking about um, v- Supreme Court decisions that impact the environment. Uh, so Bob, you st- we talked about you transitioned into Sackett.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Sackett case, as I mentioned, involves uh, the Clean Water Act under which um, things like wetlands are protected. And the, there has been a controversy for decades about the scope of the Clean Water Act, that is, geographically, what all does it reach? Does the Clean Water Act reach a prairie pothole wetland that is unconnected to any other uh, hydraulic source? Uh, does it connect a pond uh, upstream from a lake that is connected through by a standing uh, water source? These questions have been batted around from administration to administration. There have been numerous attempts to, to uh, get regulations passed. Uh, The rulemaking proceedings are voluminous. Uh, Almost all of these have resulted in litigation. And the fact of the matter is, until the court decides the Sackett v. EPA case, which could come down any day. I mean, they argued it last fall, last October, I believe. So this decision, is it's got to come down by the end of June. So any time between now and then, we should be looking for this. And what the – in the oral argument on the Sackett case, it was pretty clear that the conservative majority wanted to trim back uh, – trim back is maybe too, too light a touch. They wanted to really, really roll back the scope of the protection of the Clean Water Act and essentially leave large portions of the country that would be essentially unprotected. Let me give you an example of how this could work. Uh, I grew up in Sherman County, Kansas, a county out in the northwest part of the state, right up against the Colorado border and about 50 miles from the Nebraska border. The the source of water there is, of course, groundwater. Uh, The Smoky River does flow through Sherman County, But you can step over it and there's rarely any water in it. Should it be be protected by the Clean Water Act? Because when it does get a lot of rain, it fills up and, and acts like the river that it was always intended to be. Should it be protected when it's dry and wet? Well, that's kind of the question that the Supreme Court is now taking up. And the oral argument, I, I don't want to you know, <laughs> predict how the court's going to go, but if, if oral argument was any indication, the, they're going to cut way back on the Clean Water Act. And uh, it, it's, it is going to be a real uh, regulatory nightmare because... Many of the industries that have intervened in this case, mining industry, uh, big industrial agriculture interests, uh, big manufacturing interests, they want to go. They want to go to some place where the Clean Water Act doesn't apply, and set up shop and discharge their pollutants as they see fit. Uh, hardly. Uh, th- this this does not bode well for. I mean, again, I mentioned that I grew up in western Kansas, and I've, I've it seems to me that there's been a decided um, third world worldization of western Kansas for a number of years. And if it is without protection of the Clean Water Act, that trend will excel, accelerate uh, rather dramatically, would be my sense of it. And it won't be the only place where that happens. Uh, so the court is has this really quite monumental decision to make about the clean water act and uh, again you know if you're taking government class in high school the teacher might say well and if the legislature if congress doesn't like what the court can has done well they'll just legislate it around legislate around it on the chalkboard yeah that's how it works in reality We know that Congress is really stymied. To get these acts passed in the first place required extraordinary political circumstances. The Clean Water Act and Clean Air Act were passed during the Nixon administration. Now the cynic might say that this was Nixon's attempt to deflect attention away from other problems that he had at that time, nevertheless, Congress came together and passed two of the most progressive environmental acts that this country's ever known. Are they good enough? Of course they're not good enough. They're not even close to good enough. But, you know, we can't let perfect be the enemy of the good here. Uh, They're better than than what we had before. But unfortunately, because there is this conflict, this clash between uh, the public good, as expressed through the Clean Water Act and Clean Air Act, and private property rights, as evidenced by the Sacketts uh, protecting their land from the reach of the Clean Water Act or the power plant owners not wanting the Clean Air Act to interfere with them, then you really find out who the winners and losers are. And so the, what I began uh, talking about this uh, earlier this evening, I asked the question, Is are these questions political? Are these cases political? It's hard to see how they're not in that, in that case.
3: If they, in terms of the Sackett case, the family, what is it that they are concerned about? Why don't they like the Clean Water Act?
0: They, they wanna develop some of their property and their property happens to be a wetland or the part of the property they wanna develop is a wetland. Okay. And and it's the policy decision, although it is unevenly applied and inconsistently applied, the policy decision by the EPA, at least at the national level, has been to try to achieve a zero net loss of, of wetlands. In other words, if you, if you lose five acres of wetlands over here, you're supposed to replace with five acres of wetlands someplace else to achieve a, a, a zero net loss. Well, that's not good enough for the Sackets because it's their wetlands that are being, to them, taken from their use and enjoyment as they as they want to use them. And so the Clean Water Act is they're really intended to protect wetlands because they do have value. And we know that they've got a significant biological value, a, a, a habitat value, a flood control value, a water quality value. Uh, but again, when a single property owner like the Sackets can essentially stick a, a stick in the a spoke in the uh, a stick in the spokes uh, and bring the whole process to a grinding halt, you see really how vulnerable uh, a lot of these um, areas that we want to protect actually are. And again, the Sackets may get their way. If I had to bet based upon the oral arguments, I would get guess that they're going to get the. Use their property the way they want to, and be damned with the Clean Water Act. Um, so this really does shift the focus back into a, in a very political way, uh, and it's a it's a conflict. It's a political conflict that many politicians shy away from dealing with. I mean, I, I've mentioned earlier, it's it's not coincidence that Congress passes these acts and says, "Clean up the environment." EPA. Get the details together and programs together to make it happen. That's not a. It's not a coincidence. If they had the 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 will to get really detailed and say, "Here's what we here's what we think a clean environment looks like," and get into the granular detail, Congress could do that, but they don't. One, it's a it's a far too controversial process. Uh, it's tough enough to get votes together in a majority or in the Senate when you need 60 votes to do much of anything, Uh, let alone when you're trying to get into an area of details where every single member of Congress is probably going to have a constituent that's got something at stake. And so they passed these grand objectives and it handed off the agencies to do the, the legwork, some would say the dirty work, of actually seeing that these things get implemented. And again, is the Clean Water Act and Clean Air Act perfect? No way that they're not. They should go much farther or further in terms of their, their protections. Uh, but it, it, it has provided a foundation from which we can uh, uh, expect to improve in, uh, certain environmental qualities, unless the court says that agencies are not going to be uh, have the, uh, the power to do so.
3: In the Sackett case, that was brought by a private family. Mm-hmm. Right. But in West Virginia, it was brought, the Clean Power Plan case was brought by the state. Why was that, and why wasn't the coal That the coal mining companies involved in that?
0: The, as I said, in the West Virginia against EPA case, there were, you know, I, The the entries of appearance for the lawyers in that case ran for pages. So all kinds of interests got involved. Uh, And there was an intervener that represented coal producers. There was another intervener that represented the American Wind Association. Um, so the interviewers were, were numerous and covered the spectrum really from those who wanted to stay in the, the 17th and 18th century and burn coal to those who were solidly in the 21st century ready to move on to renewables and everything in between. You know, municipalities got uh, involved in this case. Some of them on the side of uh, protecting uh, the, the air resources and some saying it's okay to burn coal. Why? Some had coal interests in their communities, some of them did not. So are these things political? Yes, they're political. They're unavoidably political. And, but we shouldn't let that, <sighs> unfortunately it, 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 we do, but we shouldn't let that uh, be a deterrent to trying to get to some remedy And I I am afraid that the court's decision to demand this sort of uh, high degree of detail coming out of Congress is likely to just create um, a a paralysis where really the agencies won't have the authority to do what they know they need to do to make these uh, changes and Congress won't be able to pull the political will together to make that happen, to give them the authority to do it. So I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I think that this is that this is a, a trend that is not going to bode well over the long haul for environmental quality.
3: Okay. Back, I forget how many years ago it was, you represented Sierra Club and you were able to stop one of the coal plants mm-hmm. or two of the coal plants right. from being built in, right. out in western Kansas. Right Now with this new case, is there any danger of those being revived because of these new cases?
0: If it was only because they had suddenly greater flexibility with the regulatory agencies, I'd say, yeah, there would be some danger. The good news is that uh, renewables are economically so much more efficient that if a If a uh, power company board of directors said, we've got a billion dollars, let's buy a billion dollars worth of coal power, uh, you'd you'd see a revolt within that company. Uh, And the other issue is they would have a hard time getting it approved from the regulatory bodies. Because for example, in Kansas, they'd have to go to the Kansas Corporation Commission and say, rate payers will be served best by building a billion-dollar coal plant instead of building a billion dollars' worth of renewables. And they're going to have to, if they think they can make that case, go in and do it. But, you know, Kansas gets a bad rap. A lot of it deserved, but here's one thing that Kansas ought to get a lot of credit for. In 2007, Kansas was the first state in the union to turn down a coal plant permit, the Holcomb II plant, out in Finney County. Because it emitted too much carbon dioxide. That had not been done by any state in 2007. And when it happened, those of us who had been working uh, with the Sierra Club said, That's fantastic. And I remember talking to the head of the program, and he said, We've won. The, The plant's gone. And I said, You know, you haven't been out here to see how badly these folks want this plant. <laughs> and it took really another 10 years before it was actually abandoned as a, as a project. It, it, uh, it only goes to show that these interests are so well entrenched that uh, overcoming their, their influence is, is really one of the challenges of our time.
3: We just have a few seconds left. We're just Kansas. Since the coal plant was defeated, we're just Kansas stand in generation of wind power
0: mm-hmm. we're one of the top in the country i think i the last time uh the, the last rating i saw i think we were fifth in the country okay. which is pretty amazing i mean we w- the wind conditions are no better than they are in kansas any place right. really in, in north america so we've got build outs yet to uh to do to to meet our potential
3: All right. Uh, Thank you, Bob. For those that's joining us, we've been talking to Bob I about environmental law cases, and thank you for being with us. Thank you, Craig.
5: KKFI thanks Buffalo State Pizza for providing meals for our volunteers during this fun drive. Buffalo State Pizza serves up sandwiches, salads, and New York-style pizza from two locations in the metro at 7901 Santa Fe in Overland Park and 1815 Wyandotte in the Crossroads. Find out more at buffalostatepizza.com, and we really appreciate their support.
1: My name is Darnell. At the end of our hour, here's some environmental news for the week of February 13, 2023. Democracy Now! reports. In climate news, researchers reported that the area of the Antarctic Ocean covered by sea ice shrank to its lowest extent on record for January. Melting sea ice can help accelerate climate change as dark ocean water absorbs heat while white sea ice reflects up to 90% of the sun's energy back into space. Ohio authorities has lifted an evacuation order for residents of East Palestine following a February 3rd freight train crash and fire. The wreckage contained poisonous chemicals including phosgene, hydrogen chloride, and vinyl chloride. The accident has drawn scrutiny to what are called bomb trains, which transport crude oil and other dangerous chemicals across the U.S., A sweeping new study by Conservation Research Group, NatureServe, finds that 40% of animals and 34% of plants in the U.S. are at risk of extinction, and 41% of ecosystems are facing collapse. The death toll from the massive earthquakes in Turkey and Syria has passed 22,000. In Peru, people are dead and several injured after heavy rains triggered massive mudslides and floods. In Chile, wildfires have killed at least 24 people as some 260 blazes rage in the center and south of the country, fanned by dry winds and high temperatures. A record-breaking Arctic blast sent temperatures plummeting across much of northeastern United States and parts of Canada. New Hampshire recorded the nation's coolest ever wind chill at minus 108 degrees Fahrenheit. Inside Climate News reports, Minnesota lawmakers have passed a bill requiring 100% carbon-free electricity by 2040. The legislation means Minnesota joins a group of 10 states. EcoWatch reports. According to a new survey from the U.S. Census Bureau, about 3.4 million adults in the U.S. were displaced from their homes by extreme weather disasters in 2022. A new report from the U.S. Energy Information Administration expects 54% of new electric generating capacity in the U.S. to come from solar energy for 2023. The Biden administration is spending billions of dollars to build out EV charging networks and providing incentive for purchasing new and used EVs. Baltimore County, Maryland is the latest local government in the U.S. to ban plastic shopping bags. Baltimore County Council voted to approve the Bring Your Own Bag Act following in the footsteps of the city of Baltimore, which passed its plastic bag ban in 2019. Enbridge paid more than $8.6 million to Minnesota Police and other agencies to clear the way for expansion of its Line 3 tar sands oil pipeline, Kansas Reflector reports. The Keystone oil pipeline's massive spill in northern Kansas was likely caused by a faulty welding job, the Bloomberg Green Newsletter reports. Between August twenty twenty two when President Joe Biden's landmark climate bill became law and the end of January twenty twenty three companies had announced more than one hundred thousand clean energy jobs in the United States according to an analysis released by the nonprofit advocacy group Climate Power. The group estimated private sector jobs across a range of sectors that reduce greenhouse gas emissions, including electric vehicles and battery manufacturing, wind and solar energy, and home energy efficiency. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. Please tune in again next week or listen to our podcast at any time.
0: Lot. Thank you for listening to
1: ECO Radio KC on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. ECO Radio is brought to you each week by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilking, Brent Rysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell.
6: The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Mid-Coast Media Project. You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard eh? And you can send inquiries and comments to our email at
1: kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page.
6: Up next is Fiesta Musicale, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Jody Mitchell.
0: Don't it always seem to go that
2: you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Ooh.